On today's episode of Shooting the Breeze, we take a look back at weather in history from the end of March through early April. Weather's been quiet pretty over the last couple of days, so that's good. So sit back, relax, and let's shoot the breeze with your local weather authority. Welcome to episode number nine of Shooting the Breeze. I'm Chief Meteorologist Chris Yates, joined by meteorologist Adam Sherwinski. I'm just trying to remember how to count my fingers. You said nine. I'm like, wait a minute, that's how many fingers again? Did you get up seven? Was it eight? I got nine. You got got a whole nine up there? I mean, I have ten fingers, but I don't think that's how many episodes we have. Not yet. Not yet. We're getting there. And that beautiful voice you heard was uh, meteorologist Molly Nays. Hi. How you all doing today? I'm tired. We're We're a little earlier than normal. Yeah, if I mean, you guys are listening to this whenever you're listening to it, but this is early for us to record, and we sound like it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I've been up since 2.30. Okay, Ugh. Molly. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah, way to brag there, Molly. I rolled out of bed, put on a shirt, and showed up at work. That's insane. <laughs> Only difference between you and me is I brought a hat and a sweatshirt. Um, well, a, uh, weather's been quiet, which is good. Quiet weather, late March, early April. Hmm. We'll take it. It means no severe weather for us as, as we uh, kind of start to roll into severe weather season. But uh, uh, we're kind of looking at uh, weather in history. What's interesting about weather in history is that uh, filing through as uh, the nerd that I am, I was looking through it, and a lot of your events were either tornado outbreaks in March, in April, or snow. That's usually that's usually yeah, that's usually I let you get. There's so there's a handful of things that aren't related to that. Um, but there's it's it's one of those where it's like this time of year you either get one side or the other you don't usually get an in between something completely different. This is the time of year for tornado outbreaks and we could still get snow in the forecast. That's usually how March is. Uh, what is the old phrase in like a lion out like a lamb? Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think this year though with March we came in like a lamb out like a lamb. So boot goes yeah, to hey, us. That that's good. Well, as long as we are on the I'll take more lambs over lions. Right. Any day of the year. So one thing I talked to Chris with uh, the other day is uh, where I was mentioning, you know, talking about doing this segment and stuff about doing like talking about the uh, history of meteorology. And one thing uh, I pulled up was uh, Francis Galton, Sir Francis Galton, all the way in England, uh, published his first weather chart in the newspaper in March 31st. So right around this week. 1875. So I think a lot of people, when they think of meteorology, they think within the last 50 years is usually what we go with, or the last 40, 60, 70. But I mean, meteorology has been a thing for, gosh, almost thousands of years, mm-hmm. is the way we know it now. I mean, there's a lot going on from Aristotle all the way up to us. <laughs> yeah, back in the back when they thought you were some sort of sorcerer for attempting to predict something like the weather. Don't I'm, forget back in the day when you weren't allowed to say certain. Storm types yes. on the uh, on the airwaves or in newspapers. That yeah. was in the 40s and 50s, I believe, and they didn't have them to- tornado watch- watches and warnings or like tornado alert or tornado advisory or something like that. Yeah, like I- it was the way the Weather Bureau. See, that's even how you know it's yeah. old. The Weather Bureau um, did it was just different. It's interesting, but way different than mm-hmm. what we do now. Yeah, the Weather Bureau was established by the. Uh, by an act of Congress and assigned to the Department of Agriculture. That was um, 
the observations and forecast responsibility from the Army Signal Service was transferred to the Weather Bureau. That was October 1890. Yeah, so that sh- shows you how far we've come in meteorology within the last 110 years alone. So, and we're still making we're still making changes. We're getting rid of advisories with the National Weather Service mm-hmm. over the next three years. Mm-hmm. I think, and we're going to start seeing the less and less. We're going to see uh, those removed, and I think it'll be good because we'll start to see a little bit more clear communication with the public overall, which is great. Because sometimes I, less is more. Yeah, I mean, we we it's a good thing. Changes to me, change is a good thing nine times out of ten. So. But some of the stuff that's uh, popped up, uh, I was looking through the National Weather Service office here in Lincoln, and uh, some of the stuff that historically has gone through them is they've had a pretty long history. Um, the thing is that they weren't at the Lincoln office. They were in Peoria first, and a lot of the duties were spread out between other offices like Chicago, Davenport, even Paducah. Let me see. But overall, it's just been interesting. Uh, April 1st, which was yesterday when we were recording this, the National, Le- Le- the National Weather Service Office in Lincoln assumes responsibility for aviation forecast for airports at Peoria, Springfield, Decatur, and Champaign. Those were all previously issued by the National Weather Service Office in Chicago. So mm. that's pretty interesting to think about is that even within the last, golly, uh, 25 years, that National Weather Service Office has put, picked up more responsibilities. At one point, uh, when the office was in Peoria, and then they decided to have another office down in Lincoln, there was only, I think, six meteorologists or so that were staffed full-time, and even then they were only open like eight to six. So it's gone from that to a full, regular National Weather Service staff, very standardized throughout the entire United States. So that's the anniversary of that recently, too, is that they start to do aviation forecasts, which is awesome. This was also cool. Uh, April 2000, uh, NOAA weather radio coverage in central Illinois was expanded with the installation of the new WXM-90 near Jacksonville. Which is good because uh, the Lincoln office covers a lot, and Chris can uh, agree with me on that. So can Molly. They cover from here in Peoria all the way down into Champaign, Decatur, Springfield, uh, even parts of western Illinois. They have a pretty weird-looking WFO in terms of the counties that they cover. But they cover a lot, and they're vital to have a radar site here in the middle of Illinois because Illinois is a weird state. It's, like, big but also not a big state compared to some others. It's just very long. And when you get all that coverage from Chicago and Davenport, and you get there down by Paducah and St. Louis, well, what are we missing in the middle? There's the Lincoln office. They take that up. That's good. Uh, Also, front, uh, I don't think we addressed this, uh, but there's been new development to take a pause out of our history lesson. Um, New development in the – Champagne radio tower there. Ooh. They uh they've got a tower in Champagne now. Yay. That's uh, good. So that's good. I believe they're gonna be using uh WCIA's uh Next Stars tower. Mm-hmm. I don't know all the details of that, but they've got the tower, they're still working out the you know, they still have to go through a number of steps. But um weather radio broadcast will be coming out of Champagne uh in the near not too distant future. At least we have, you know, at least they have a place to put the equipment. So that's good. Which is good because I know that weather team is all about doing stuff for the National Weather Service. They're all big into weather. They're a bunch of weather geeks like us, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's uh, it's good for everybody. It's good for the people of Champaign. It's good for Central Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, so congrats finally to <laughs> right to the National Weather Service for uh, I know they've been they were working hard over the last year to get something done ASAP and uh, congrats to those in Champaign. All right, we'll go back to our history lesson. Uh, Adam, what major events uh, do you have? I, I saw there were some big tornado outbreaks uh, or some big just 
tornadoes in general. Um, <laughs> well, what I want to talk about real quick is the comfy tornado up in Minnesota. Now, this time of year, we don't think of tornadoes up in Minnesota, even though they do get tornadoes. It's also not an area when you think first think of, of tornadoes, for one. And for two, in March slash – or late March, I should say, early April, not your first target spot if you are a big storm aficionado. But they had one, two, let's see, 12, 13, 14 tornadoes reported – that day of March 29th, 1998. And it's pretty far north into parts of Minnesota to see all that kind of stuff. And an EF4 was reported as well. And Chris, talk about that real quick, like about how that this is actually kind of an oddity uh, in that, right? It's kind of odd to see that much happen in Minnesota, let alone in March. Yeah, those late uh, or early season events in March, you just don't you don't expect them to go that far north. Of course, the weather patterns will dictate what happens, and uh, we even saw it this year, right? We had a you know a storm that we had tornado warnings in Minnesota and and Iowa that you're like, well, that doesn't usually doesn't happen till summer. I mean, <laughs> wait a minute, is it June, <laughs> wait, June already? What, what, what day is it? What? So, uh, yeah, uh, if the if the if you got the right setup where you have enough moisture streaming north, you've got and, – and look, it makes sense. It, the hardest part with that, it's not getting the, the low-pressure systems and the jet stream. The jet streams, they're, they're going to be in that position. It's the moisture feed. It's the to, to generate the instability. And so, you you know, I'm guessing – I don't know the full setup for this day. They're probably low-top storms given the time of year. Um, one of the pictures I saw was basically cloud on ground, a wide wedge. Wide wedge. Well, you could still get a you could still get low top storms with that. Yeah, you just have to have the right right amount of shear and buoyancy. It's all about buoyancy in the atmosphere. It's, mm-hmm. As long as you can keep the air rising, right? Right. And you want that pocket of air to keep rising, and you want it to rise as fast as possible. And so, uh, the only way you do that, the way you do that is as long as the the air at the surface is warmer and more moist than the air above it. So if the air above it is dry and cold, the air at the surface is warm and moist, it is just going to continue uh, to rise. And uh, as long as that updraft is not impeded by anything, usually it would be cold air, you know, colder air than the air aloft, so the air stops to rise. If you can prevent that from getting in the way, you can get these supercells, low-topped or not, but they can go for miles and miles. They can strengthen into monstrous tornadoes if there's a tornado on the ground. You just have to have the right, right set of ingredients, and it'll happen. Uh, another interesting one is the Palm Sunday outbreak, uh, which Molly and I were talking about that before we got on air. Palm Sunday moves around, so there's multiple Palm Sunday outbreaks. So when you say Palm Sunday outbreak, you got to really specify what year. Um, one of the ones that was a little bit more recent in history, or recent this time around, March 27, 1994, Palm Sunday outbreak occurred in the southeast United States. Now, when I think of Palm Sunday outbreak, I think of Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio, but that was back in 1965. So a completely different uh, set of uh, storms there. But nearly 30 tornadoes were reported in four states, killing 42 people and causing flooding and mudslides in North Carolina. And some of these tracks on these storms were pretty long, going from Alabama all the way through Georgia. And by through Georgia, I mean ending up from St. Clair County, which is on the central to eastern central side of uh, Alabama, all the way through into, well, South Carolina. So that was a long track storm starting off at like 10:55 a.m. was one of the first reports of that uh, tornado and then ending that same storm about 5:15 it says about 2:15 excuse me in the afternoon so that's quite a storm system and obviously we've been talking about it a couple of times in our po- times in our podcast that this time of year is no stranger to the southeast getting a lot of severe weather too mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the Southeast, they, um, it's always, uh, I'm always, it's always amazing because it's, for some reason, it's just not, when, when you think of Tornado Alley, most people don't think of the Southeast. Right. Um, but when you go back and look, I mean, they, this time of year is, is a rough one for severe weather down there, mm-hmm. especially lately. In fact, we're coming up on the anniversary of 2011, which was just a rough year for tornadoes in peri- uh, general, but one of their biggest outbreaks is in the end of April. Uh, yeah. That's out, yeah, when they had the Tuscaloosa tornado, so. F5, EF5. So, yeah, we're getting into that time of year where they're now starting to switch over from snow events to more tornado events. And being the weather nerd that I am that likes tornadoes and or finds that fascinating, I should say, um, pretty interesting stuff. March 30th. 1987. Winter storm spreads heavy snow across the Ohio Valley and lower Great Lakes region. Cleveland, Ohio received 16 inches of snow in 24 hours, with wind gusts getting up to 50 miles per hour, creating 8 to 12 foot waves on Lake Huron. So that is another thing. Again, back to the whole snow thing. That's a storm system right there. All I have to say about that particular one is gross. Right? Yeah, that's a hard pass for me. It's uh, not one of my, I'm not a fan of it. Not a fan at all. You, you said you said the amount of snow, and I was already kind of a no for me on that. And then you, you turned it over into over how long, and then it was an even bigger no for me. I think what peop- what's interesting is they also talked about the wave height, too. Like, we always think of snowstorms as snow, wind, and power outages. Mm-hmm. Also, all that. Plus, if you live on the lake, big old waves, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, we had our own... Um this was recent. This is a couple of years ago. We had our own April Fool's Day slash Easter uh, snow snowstorm here in central Illinois. And Molly, I, you might be familiar with this. The area picked up um, at least south of a basically uh, south of a of a Burlington, Iowa to Pontiac line picked up several inches of accumulation. Do you remember that? She yeah. shaking her head. Yeah. All right. So. This one, this was one of those, we knew it was going to snow, but we had a hard time convincing people it was going to snow. Yeah, because it was April Fool's. It was April Fool's. And then it then it actually, it actually overperformed. <laughs> the storm actually, so the storm actually dropped an, a corridor of like six to eight inches of accumulation. What year was that in again? This was 2018. So this was April 1st, 2018. So snowfall four to six inches uh, was very common. Uh, this is this is the report from the Weather Service. So I'll give you the, 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 the overall story here so snowfall of four to six inches fell across a narrow corridor of central illinois on easter sunday april 1st some local totals of six to eight inches were reported west of lincoln near the mississippi river uh and illinois river as well so uh southern fulton out near havana bath area lewiston that's where we had some of those six to eight totals yeah it uh that i remember that because uh, on the north side of peoria and, and even in peoria general that was we barely had any snow here i think we had we had less than an inch and I know at my place, I had just a dusting. I mean, just on the north side of town. And then even as you went into downtown, like, well, there's not much snow here, so it's going to be a bust for Peoria. And then all of a sudden, you literally crossed the river into East Peoria. And it was you're just like, there's a solid two inches, of <laughs> two inches of snow on the ground here. And then you go a little further, and it just gets, it gets wetter, it gets sloppier. And so um, here's a look. Uh, I'll read off some of the official snowfall reports. So Easton, which is in Mason County, that's seven inches there. Havana, seven. Beardstown, 6.8. Havana, 6.5. Lincoln picked up 5.8 inches out of this. Uh, Hayworth, which is south of Bloomington Normal, uh, 5.5. 
Mason City, five and a half. Uh, let's go further down. Manito, again, Mason County, 4.1. Uh, I mean, for April 1st, right? I remember when I first got here and I said, do we, you know, I was asking some of the Mets here, I was like, do we get snow in April very often? As I was starting to dive into it, and it's like, not very often. And there'd probably be panic if there ever was. <laughs> <laughs> and because, and, I mean, back out west, we get snow all the way through May. And so I was like, okay, April. And But, yeah, I was like, oh, this is actually going to snow. But I now didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. that. That was a, yeah, so people were trying to get where they wanted to go on Easter. Roads were a mess. And it was, because, you know, we had been warm, I think, prior to this. So you're like, how much of it's going to stick to the pavement? But when right. it's coming down, like, two to three inches an hour. I remember I was talking to Adam about that because that was also the same year that we had. It would snow on a Sunday, melt throughout the week. And then snow on a Sunday again. And it did that like three or four times that in April. Was, that was right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I feel like that reminds me of this winter where we just kept preparing for storms of the weekend. And then by like Monday, Tuesday, it's like, okay, here's the snow. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> yeah. It's a you know, weather pattern kind of, you know, they operate on what? Three to seven day cycles for the most part. I mm-hmm. mean, that's mm-hmm. so every, you know, you get a couple days. Yeah, that's not, it's not unusual, but it does get tiresome after yes. a while. Mm-hmm. Another interesting event that has nothing to do with tornadoes. Or snow. March 26th, 1987, a U.S. Air Force rocket launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida, was lost just 48 seconds after its flight. It was struck by lightning. <laughs> Whoops. What year was that? Generated by the exhaust plume of the rocket. So oh. It, yeah. So oh. 1987. Oh. Yeah. Whoopsies. So uh, that's what they do. They don't, when there's thunderstorms, they usually no, they, yeah, I think they cancel They cancel yeah. a launch. Which down there is, it's odd that they put one in Cape Canaveral. I get why, but it's like, at the same time, you're really subject to those thunderstorms, especially during the summer months, because mm-hmm. it just, they'll just pop up. Yeah, that's a typical place, but, you know, it's also surrounded by water. I guess, it, I mean, it makes sense. But it's a, I guess you have to go all the way back to the 1960s and 50s to figure out why they decided, decided to do that. Well, I think what's also, I've been told, too, is that they're uh, a little bit, far since they're so far south, that the air rising up, you know, going up in the atmosphere, since they're closest to the equator in the United States, or one of the closer spots, um, it's a bit thicker of an atmosphere, so it makes launching a lot easier than if you were to, say, do it in... Uh, Interesting. Like farther north, up in the Dakotas. I'm sure there. Yeah, there's a bunch of reasons. I'm sure why they do this. Oh yeah. And then the calculations, I would imagine, would all have to change when you move. I mean, it, that's about a but I'm not a rocket scientist. You gotta, so. yeah. you gotta, you gotta factor in the whole Coriolis for us when you're trying oh, to launch. Oh no, that's a, that, there's a go. That's another topic, right? <laughs> Coriolis. Ooh. Let's see here. Adam, you got any other big events? March 25th. 1901, more than 20 people, 1901, keep this in mind, more than 20 people are killed by an an F3, excuse me, not EF3, tornado that moved through parts of Birmingham, Alabama. The twister was cut at a 15-mile path from the south side of the city to Avondale and Irondale. And it's interesting to read the headlines because of the newspaper. You can clearly see that they clipped out. It doesn't have any photos, and there's a lot of storm events that don't have photos. We usually think of Mm -hmm. photos and videos at this point or somebody on Twitter posting it or Facebook or somebody out chasing it. Well, there's a lot of storm events that were pretty significant that no one has pictures of. Uh, And this is one of those examples I think is pretty interesting. Um, One of the bigger ones, the Tri-State Tornado. People have recollections of it. They say it came in like a giant fog. But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't tell you enough of the story because you don't have actual pictures to really know yeah. what's going on. 
Um, a lot of the biggest events and most deadly events just don't have videos unless you get to the aftermath. And even then in the 50s, very few. Events, very few. There's mm-hmm. very few shots of it. Uh, the March, uh, the lake and tornado, I'm surprised there was a picture of that. that right? Was, That's what I was impressed uh, with. In mm-hmm. the 40s. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, you know, a, you go back and you find some of the earliest known photos of tornadoes. And A, the kind of cameras they were using and the exposure time. I mean, how long you had to be in mm-hmm. position to see something like that. That, especially with the older cameras, when they photograph old storms like that, just adds an extra layer of, like, spooky to it just because of how, oh, grainy, how grainy the photo the is. Yeah. One of the pictures that I have actually have from 1913, March th- 23rd, which we're getting going back a little too far here, but March 23rd, 1913, a deadly tornado hit the city of Omaha on Easter Sunday. In just 12 minutes, the tornado cut a swath of total destruction five miles long and two blocks wide across the city, killing 94 people and causing $3.5 million of damage. And the picture, Molly, I'm going to show you real quick. Yeah, I know yeah. the viewers or listeners at home, viewers, listeners at home can't hear us or see us, but or hear it, see, see it. That's the word I'm looking for. But that is a creepy picture. Am I? Am I not yeah, wrong? Yeah. Make sure you share that. See if you can share that on our. Oh, CF I will. Road. But that yeah, is really that is a creepy picture. It's um, <laughs> I, I everyone I've seen like pre 1965. Actually, 1965 and farther back is probably some of the scariest pictures. It, yeah, if anybody wants, like, just a mental image, just think the opening scene of Wizard of Oz when you see the tornado and the weird, like, special effects that they used to make it. Just think that. that that's that's the vibe that we get. Is the vibe. Oh, I... But that this looks like a monster. It, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just looks like it's, it's a gross. blob. It's a blob, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's blob monster. Blob monster. Well, another good example is the, which we're getting now, we're going a little too far into where our range is, the 1965... Palm Sunday outbreak. There's another Palm Sunday outbreak because it moves around so much. Um, one of the classic picture, pictures is uh, somebody looking through the road and two twin tornadoes right next to each other, and they're just the mon- just monsters. Um, but that one was uh, April 10th to the 12th, and it was multiple days of severe weather. What year was that again? 65. 65, okay. And that was Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio. Well, here's one uh, April 3rd. Uh, 1974. Uh, this was part of a. Uh, this is, I believe, still, and I, I don't know if this has been updated, but it, it's been considered the most violent tornado outbreak in U.S. history, and so it began on April 3rd, uh, 1974, and then uh, continued into April 4th. There were a total of 148 tornadoes, um, in 13 states, and that does include 12 tornadoes in Illinois. Uh, the outbreak killed 307 people and produced over $600 million in damage, which in today's dollars would be well into the billions. Mm-hmm. Um, in central Illinois, the strongest tornado of this outbreak uh, moved across Macon County and affected the west and north sides of Decatur. Uh, that tornado killed one person and produced $3.4 million in damage, destroyed 52 homes, and several uh, severely damaged 110 others. Uh, there were also tornadoes reported in Logan, McLean, Champaign, Vermilion, Ford, and Edgar Counties. Those weren't the longest-lasting tornadoes, but there is a smattering on there. They have an old picture of all the ones that were totaled up, and they are a lot of. There's a lot of them in Central Illinois. Yeah, that. Yep. And a lot of it was from the. I mean, it's from Georgia and Alabama all the way up into Indiana, Illinois, and Michigan. So that's a wide swath mm-hmm. of storms in two days. That was a large. I have these. I don't have them on this computer, but I do have the. Um, maybe we can put this up. I have the surface map for that day, or for the for that outbreak. Yeah, uh, saved on a PDF, and so we could 
we should post that on our website, ciproud.com. But uh, get, take a look at it because here's the thing. Uh, weather maps today are so easily accessible. <laughs> you go back, you have to you take a look at the hand-drawn analysis that the Weather Service and the weather at that time, I think the Weather Bureau, was actually doing. And you got to remember, they didn't have instant access to all this data. So they were using these maps and trying to piece together what was going to happen based on the limited data set you know that they have i mean it, i you, i look back i would like to take a step take a time machine go back and obviously there's a lot i would like to look at and um, adam you're a history dude so man, i'm sure you would like to keep going back but man, you, go back to the early stages of the weather bureau weather service and just see how they did things oh i mean that goes back to sir francis galston i mean we were, when we were talking at the yeah. top of the podcast he had nothing but what the weather was like yesterday and that's what he based off his next forecast with and it's What's impressive about that one, too, is that he made a map not just for England and Ireland, but also part of northern, northeastern, northwestern, excuse me, Europe. And he had to make a forecast off of that for the paper. And I'm like, I don't know, but that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of that's a lot of wrenches in there. You know, over time, over time, you might be able to identify um, a few, you know, you got all the old wives tales, right? And all the uh, all the old stories. Um, and sometimes those work out for you. Sometimes they don't. You know, but over time, if you were, let's say we were observing clouds and we have a beautiful day like today with a lot of sunshine. And then all of a sudden you start to see some high cirrus clouds coming in. And then you notice, well, the clouds get a little thicker, get a little bit lower the next day. Then the next day it rains, it's warm and humid, you get thunderstorms, and then all of a sudden it gets cold. You see that enough? Next time, you know, if you can identify that pattern, when you see cirrus clouds, you're like, you know what? It's either going to rain tomorrow or tomorrow night or the day after. You know, you can kind of get an oh, yeah. idea. And you can see that the weather, you can see it's probably going to warm up. It's probably going to get windy. It's going to feel humid. Then it's going to get colder again. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's this may sound silly, but even though we had a lot of access to that information, when I was a kid, I knew, okay, it's warm and humid. Yesterday, I saw those th- cirrus clouds, and they're talking about a cold front coming through. So I can bet that tomorrow will be either cloudy or clearer and definitely colder because they said the word cold front. Cold so like, front. like these little, like these like, like little things like you can, like when I was a kid, I remember I could sense, okay, it's warm, it's humid and it's windy. I wouldn't be surprised if they had thunderstorms in the forecast. Yeah. And sure enough, they had severe thunderstorms in the forecast. It's just, uh, it'd be cool to go back in time, see what they, cause you know, there was nobody telling there's a cold front coming. They just had to, you had to see it coming mm-hmm. or see the trends, the days, mm-hmm. you know, just by and you, you know you didn't know what was going on 100 miles from you you didn't know what was going you may not know what was going on 20 miles from you um, but yeah kind of interesting i mean sailors used a what was it red red sky oh at yeah night? red it's like red sky in morning sailors take warning or red sky at night or something like sailors that Delight. yeah whatever worked for them <laughs> which yeah. they that, managed to do it which I, yeah. is interesting because they uh they had to deal with tropical weather not midwestern right or, yeah well they had to do tropical so the hurricanes were a bigger issue for mm-hmm. them than uh, just a cold front coming through. Yeah, it's no it's no joke, especially living in the Midwest, and we get these varying weather patterns. We know when it's going to rain. That's that's not a joke. We the the joke is that oh we can smell it when it's going to rain. No, that that's real. That's not a joke. Mm-hmm. That's not just a meme. We can we can tell. We get we feel it in our bones, as they say. Yeah, you always get a you get a sense, right? Yeah, it's a natural thing. The worst, the worst, or I guess the best is when I would tell my mom, "Oh, we're gonna have severe weather today." Well, Adam, you don't. Later on that day, tornado watch. What? What did I tell you? <laughs> what did I tell you? Don't at me Called on this it. one. Don't at me on this one, mom. 
You got any more there, Adam? No, uh, we could be here for hours. I know. Unless you want to be here for hours. Hi, I mean, sorry, I still have stuff to do this oh, afternoon. Oh, you do. You got what? A half hour until your show. That's right. I got to record stuff no, and, right. and do that's stuff. Right. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap it up, and I'm gonna go with a very kid-friendly, silly joke. Yay! All right. Would it? Just a side note. This podcast will probably never end without a joke. It's got to. Yeah, just it, it has to. And plus, this is our April Fool's Day joke, or our, our podcast, so I've got to have some sort of joke. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. This is this is for all the kids listening. Why do dragons sleep during the day? Why? why? So they can fight knights. Why?